Hello, everyone. I want to talk to you just for a minute or two today about a wonderful problem that we have at Grace Church. The problem is, is that we've grown so much over the years that it has become difficult to communicate with each other. So we've come up with a very, I think, wonderful solution to this, and it's something called Grace Link. Gracelink is a web-based tool that allows us to communicate with each other. It's a tool that would allow us to know each other and to connect with each other in a better way. And we feel like it would help bring an answer to this great problem we have of continuing to grow as we reach people with the good news of Jesus. So Gracelink is going to be an amazing tool for us to use as a church. Um, It's not a replacement of something like Facebook. Um, You know, you're not going to see Farmville scrolling through your Gracelink pages or Candy Crush Saga or whatever, but it's a way for us to connect on everything that's happening here at the church, and you can kind of pick and choose how you interact with that. It's going to be great. Moving forward, really excited about what Pastor Ryan's going to be sharing with us in a couple minutes. I know it's been something that's been brewing on his heart, so uh, let's go ahead and listen and join in together. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, welcome if you are here in the auditorium or out in the cafe. Glad you're here this weekend. And we have something kind of unique this weekend. We're not going to start a new series. We're going to start a new one starting next weekend. So we kind of have a standalone conversation, which I am excited to have with you guys this morning. What we're going to look at is the conversation of work, right? So I just recognize that all of us are kind of getting back into the grind, right? Summer's ending, we're getting back to school, most of our vacations are wrapping up, and so putting on the mindset of kind of getting the schedule worked back in, if you're in college or in work or in school, kind of whatever mode of life that you're in, work is probably becoming your focus again. So I thought we could have a little conversation that way. And the reality is, is that for most of us, uh, work is gonna take up a huge chunk of our lives. Right? It's just kind of how it is. Uh, no matter if I'm in, in school today or I run a household or I run a company, wherever I am kind of on the map of life, work will consume huge pieces of my life. And so the question is, how do we navigate work? How do we look at it? How do we view it? What's our attitude towards it? And maybe even how do we redeem it? Is there a way that we can interact with our work and make that uh, a little more powerful and a little more supernatural. And so we're going to be talking about kind of our work relationships and a little bit of how to approach it. What I want to do first is take us back to the beginning, and I want us to see where work came from. And we're going to see that there are actually some pretty powerful observations. We're going to start there back into the book of Genesis. And you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you have one. Um, if, If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab one from underneath your chairs there. And uh, you can turn there. It's page two in the Bibles under your chairs. And actually, if you don't have a Bible or newer translation, you can actually just grab that and take that with you if you need a Bible. So what's going on in Genesis chapter two is God's creating everything. He's created the universe. He's created the earth. He's created the Garden of Eden. And now what I want us to see is as God creates humanity, we're going to see something I think is a pretty profound observation. Watch how it plays out with me. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says that now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. 
And so right away we see that this, this garden exists and there's no one to work it. As you play out the rest of the passage here, we see that God makes man and in verse 15, watch what happens, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Why this is so profound is because sin had not entered the world yet. No one had disobeyed God. Sin had not marred the original intention that God had for creation for humanity. And so what we can know from that is that work itself is good. That is a huge statement. Uh, the, the work is good, and in fact, as human beings, we are kind of created to contribute. That's part of our wiring is to give back and to offer something to society and to contribute in a real and meaningful way. That observation, I think, can set a foundation for us to begin to understand work a little more. And for some of you, if you've ever been out of work, if you've ever been in a place in life where maybe you were sick or you're unemployed and you couldn't latch on to an opportunity to contribute in a meaningful way, you know the pain that comes with not being able to work. Right? If you've experienced that, it's almost like the dignity of life kind of seeps out of you and leaks out of you over time. It's a painful experience. I've kind of watched some friends that have gone through that before, and you see that there's something good in our work, something good about contributing to the whole. It's tied in and wrapped in kind of to who we are. It's an important observation. Let me bring us another step further, right into Genesis chapter 3 and another perspective on work. Now, what's happened from chapter 2 to chapter 3 is that sin has now entered the world. Human beings have disobeyed God, and now sin is going to change everything, including work. God's talking to Adam in light of his decision to sin against him in chapter 3, verse 17. Go ahead and jump over there one chapter to verse 17 of chapter 3. He says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. God is pronouncing a curse here. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So we can see that work is good. We saw that a minute ago. We also can see that work is painful. Work is good and work is painful. I think the majority of us can recognize that pretty, pretty quickly, that there is something good about work. I mean, there's definitely something painful about work, right? We get tired. Our work is difficult at times. And we can kind of set up as a foundation those two observations that work is good and work is painful. And now in a sinful world, we can see that we can take those two extremes, and as we approach work, what I think we can do is almost zoom in on one aspect or the other and take it too far. Here's what I mean by that. We can actually take the goodness of work, take it too far, and actually idolize it, actually idolize our work. What do I mean by that? We can look at our jobs, our careers, our roles, and I, I can look at that and approach it and say, I, I almost want to self-actualize through my job. That I have a vision of what I want to give my life to, and I want to contribute in such a way that, that my life really matters at a deep level, and I can almost 
create this God out of my workplace. And man, if I could get the right job in the right place at the right time, if I could have the perfect opportunity, maybe then I would be happy. And that's one of kind of the, the errors of work is that I would take it to that extreme. It would almost become my identity that, that my career or my role in life, the manner in which I contribute becomes who I am and takes over my actual identity. So idolize my work is one of the errors that this can, we can run to. Another error that we can run to is to demonize our work, to demonize our work. What does that look like? It's kind of zooming in on the painful side. We, we recognize the thorns and thistles, and rather than seeing that work is good and painful, it just becomes painful in our minds. And there's almost the belief that if we could just kind of take work out of our lives, take it out of the equation, then, then we would really be happy. And so what we'll do is we'll approach work as something that I just have to get through when I can retire or when I get through this phase or when I get through this part, then I will really have it together and I'll really be happy. We can demonize our work and we can see it as something negative and it's something, even though we spend a huge chunk of our lives there, we can see it as something that's largely um, negative, something we don't really want to do. Neither of these perspectives uh, is God excited about. Neither of these are very fulfilling. They both lead to a ton of heartache, whether I'm idolizing my work or demonizing my work. Really, that's not a path that I think we want to be on. One of the things that God describes for us is a different manner in which we can approach our work. I'm encouraged because I don't like either of these personally. Uh, If I had to err, I'd probably err more on this side. I tend to uh, make too much of my work. I like to work. I'm kind of a work freak. I think God put my wife in my life to bring balance to that because I would just give myself there. But wherever we land on the map, there's pain involved because we're running down a path that we're really not designed to run down. What God would want us to do is to revolutionize our work, to revolutionize our work. Am I spelling that right? There we go. Revolutionize it. That there's actually a way to operate that is different, that is supernatural, that I can approach my everydayness, no matter where it is, no matter if it's at school or it's doing menial tasks or it's high-level decision-making. If I'm a school teacher or a bus driver or CEO or investor, wherever I land, then I can actually bring a perspective and operate in such a way that is different from the norm. And this is what God would want us to see. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is the author of this letter to the church in Colossae, and he's talking to this church. It's page 822 in the Bibles underneath your chairs there. And we're going to be setting up in chapter 3. Paul is talking to this church about a perspective. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and lead us to verse 2 first, and we'll set up for a minute. Chapter 3, verse 2, set your minds on things above, uh, not on earthly things. And so what Paul's going to say is he's going to say there's a reality to life 
Um, there's a reality that life is hard and there's a logistics to work through and there's all kinds of things that we can be focused on on earth. We all recognize those. Those are real. But there's another set of truths that are just as real. And he says, what I want you to focus on is not the stuff that's on the earth. It's kind of the everyday minutia of life. I want you to set your vision higher than that. I want you to focus on heavenly things. I want you to set your focus on Jesus. And if you can get your mind and your heart above kind of the everyday grind of life, what will happen is it will start to affect you at deep levels. What Paul knows is that there's a set of truths that are real for those of us who follow Jesus. Uh, that there's an inheritance that we enjoy. That there's a savior that we love. That he's watching us and he knows us and there's a future that we can interact with. And Paul says, if you get to pick between which set of truths to focus on, I would always have you focus larger and broader the view of heaven, the view of our Savior. Get your heart and mind filled with Jesus and watch your work and your life be revolutionized. So Paul's going to take that perspective and he's going to apply it. Verses 18 through 21, he, he basically says, if you're a wife, this is how this shows up. If you're a husband, if you're a child, if you're a father, kind of applying that mindset to all these different stages of life. And then we're going to set up camp today is where he really starts to talk about work. He talks to slaves and masters starting in verse 22. We're going to dig into that in a moment, but let me give us some background on that, because if you're hearing slaves and masters, maybe for the first time, if you've never read this section of the Bible, you might be asking, man, why is the Bible talking about slavery? This is crazy. Does the Bible condone slavery? No, not at all. What's happening in the culture is about a third of the population are slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. It's just part of the social construct that they have. Many people would kind of live in a home and be a slave and be subject to the will of their master. So a ton of the population is either a slave or a master. What we can look at now today is there's a parallel between the teachings for slave and masters probably in how we would view employees and employers. The teachings of the Bible regarding slavery eventually would help to unwind the institution of slavery here in the West. Slavery is not something the Bible condones. It's something the Bible speaks to and eventually starts to unwind. Let's look at the passage here, starting in verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I want to draw some principles from this to see how do we revolutionize 
our work. And here's what Paul is saying. Let me describe it real quick. It's almost as if the slaves in Colossae, right? These are real people that existed somewhere. You can imagine this. And and they're coming to Paul, maybe, and saying, how are we supposed to live now in light of our Christian faith? Now that I believe in Jesus, right? I, I, I maybe am under a master that's cruel and that's unfair and unjust. What should I do? I'm trying to imagine what I would do if I was Paul. I mean, I, would, I think I would probably say, get out of there. Run. Fight. Rebel. Something. What I want us to see is that Paul does not relieve the pressure for these slaves. And he doesn't relieve the pressure for the masters. He looks at them and he says, I realize that you're in this situation that's difficult that you're working under a master that's difficult. He's talking to masters. He's saying, I realize that you're interacting with a slave and that it's normal and natural to treat them harshly. He's saying, I don't want either of you to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to interact with one another as if you're serving Jesus himself. It's crazy. What a crazy idea. So if I'm a slave, I'm thinking... All right, Paul, you're telling me to interact with my master as if he was Jesus. And he says that he wants us to do that. Look at verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters. One of the first things we're going to see if we're going to see this revolutionary work place environment happen is I, I need to see that I'm, I need to work from the soul. I need to work from the soul, not just the surface. So as we approach work, we know that it's normal and natural just to run through the motions of work, to show up, to clock in and clock out, to jump into the negativity and the criticism and, and the boss bashing or the employee bashing. Whatever it looks like to get caught in the pettiness of the workplace or the negativity of the home. If you're sick of your children, if you're a stay-at-home mom, there's a temptation to run that way. What Paul's saying, this phrase, with all your heart, I want you to hear this, it is literally out of the soul. What Paul is saying is he's saying this work should come out of the deepest part of you. That there should be a passion that shows up for you every day because there's a reality that the Savior who loves you and died for you and gave himself, gave his life on a cross for you, that person is the one that you're working for. And that can motivate the kind of energy, the kind of passion that can show up no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. If I'm making copies, I can make copies for Jesus. If I'm raising children and changing diapers, I can do that for Jesus. If I'm running a company, I can do that for Jesus. And he's saying that kind of passion can show up out of the soul. You imagine if you were a master and you had slaves that you oversaw and one of them came to know Jesus and all of a sudden their attitude changed 
and their heart changed, and their actions changed. Now they're serving you, even though you're harsh to them. Now they, they have joy and gratitude, and they're eager to serve. All of a sudden, you can see their faith. It's right there. This is what Paul is saying, that I'm, I'm working man, right out of the soul, right from the soul. Not just skin deep. I'm not just showing up. I'm not just running through the motions. I'm not kicking into negative or sinful practices that are normal. It's coming out of the heart. And that is being driven by this next principle. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. The end of 24, I love this phrase. It's the Lord Christ that you're serving. We work for Jesus, not for them. There's always a them, right? If it's the employees or the prof or the boss or whoever, first and foremost, we can work directly for Jesus. And man, when that perspective clicks in, it begins to revolutionize my approach to work. I'm not showing up just at the grind again. Not showing up just for school to check in at class. I am showing up for a day of service to my Lord. That changes everything. It changes everything. Paul knows that it's difficult to work for a human being, for a boss. Now we all know that. It's common knowledge, right? Just take my boss, for example. I mean, look at this face. Yeah, I have to see that daily. And I have to see the I'm so sexy routine. Have you guys ever seen Jeff do this? That is just disturbing, by the way. And I'll probably get fired. I think I've been fired by Jeff at least 100 times. That probably will happen again. But in all seriousness, we're, we're playing around with it a little bit. But I know that for many of us, our interaction with our boss is one of the major pain points in our lives. It can be an incredible source of angst and stress, and even tears can be shed because of the workplace environment we find ourselves in. Guys, many of us will serve in environments where we're never going to be fully thanked or recognized for our contribution. Um, many of us do things the people do not see, and the compensation doesn't show up, or the promotion doesn't show up, or the accolades don't show up. No one notices. Because if we can get a hold of this, the reality that we have a Savior that notices, that He sees, He knows every sacrifice. In every decision you make to go the extra mile, man, that changes everything. My, my wife's a stay-at-home mom. I think of her often because I know that she does things that I don't know about. She changes diapers and cleans up puke and gets up in the middle of the night, and she does things that nobody sees. And I, I got to think, man, if, if she can know that her Savior sees that. Wow, that's got to be a motivator. 
wherever you are. Whether you are the boss or you are the employee or you're in the middle, to know that we can work directly for Jesus changes everything, revolutionizes. It's the key to joy at work. It's more about working for the right person than it is the right place or the right position. If I'm working for Jesus, I can put anybody on any map and the same attitude and the same passion, the same zeal can show up because it's really not about the work. It's about the relationship. I want to bring glory and praise and honor to the master who bought me. I want to give myself to Jesus. I want to work for him, not for them. What if we did that? Can you imagine? I bet you it would change the dynamic in the office. When, it, when everyone else is being negative or everyone's cutting a corner or everyone's checking out early and the integrity is leaking out, if I show up out of the soul directly for Jesus, that's different. It's different when I bring my best, not for a paycheck, for a different reward. And that's the last piece I want to draw us to. I work from the soul, I work for him, and then I work for the here, not the now. The then, excuse me, the then, not the now. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 24 talks about this. It says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Remember, it's Jesus you're serving. So I can have a motivation that works for the now, the paycheck, the promotion, the accolades, the attention, the applause of a boss. That is the now. That is the here. But there is a different reward that's coming, and it's eternal. And it cannot be taken, and it cannot be shaken. It is the eternal reward that we receive from Jesus himself. It's beautiful. Man, if I'm working directly for Jesus, if that's what's driving my work is I I want to please the Savior who loves me and gave himself for me, then I can entrust myself to him rewarding that work. That is a great hope. I want to tell you guys, I want to take us offline here for a minute. Um, Just had a rough weekend with my family this weekend. Uh, my wife has a, has a good friend, her name's Allie, and uh, about 18 months ago, she, she found out she has leukemia, and uh, her, her friend, she knew her for a long time. They grew up together as kids, you know? She was in our wedding, and Lori was in her wedding. There's kind of one of these, this pack of friends that grew up together. And Lori has been kind of walking with her through this process of fighting leukemia. And uh, this last week, that journey kind of came to an end. You know, and she, she went to be with Jesus on Monday, and we had her funeral yesterday, and it left us kind of raw. You know, some of you were there. I saw a few faces from Grace there. And this woman, she was a, she's a mother of three, and she's got, she's got three little girls eight, five, and three. She's married. She's a personal trainer. She's an 
incredible health, just a picture of health. And over that 18 months, her body just slowly kind of withered, and physically she kind of came undone. And the work of her life, mothering and training, it was replaced by the work of staying alive. A work that she never thought she would have, that she never asked for. And it became the hardest work of her life. You guys, Allie was not perfect, um, but she loved Jesus. And as her friend, and as a witness to her life, I've watched her love Jesus as a mother and as a trainer, and then as someone fighting for her life. And she fought this thing. And she fought it as on to Jesus. As she was in the cancer ward, she would share her faith with the nurses. She'd look at them and say, do you, do you know my Jesus? How bold is it? What are you going to say to somebody dying of cancer, right? Kind of get away with whatever you want. So she used it, man. She, she would say, do you have a faith? Do you know Jesus? And she would lead some people to Jesus through this. And even as she neared the end, she was focused enough on her Savior that she would look at her family and say, is your faith going to be okay because of this? Mom, dad, husband, are you, are you going to still love Jesus? Because he's still the same. You guys, it's, I was sitting there at the service. It was in the chapel, and the auditorium was packed. Full of people that have been affected by her life. And I realized that uh, there's like this line between this life and the next one. And for me, that line is usually pretty far away. You know, it's like out there somewhere. One day I'm going to have to get close to that line. Losing our friend, and it brought that line right here right in front of me. And it made me ask some tough questions. You know? Because I am heartbroken for her. Not so much for her, for her children, for her husband, for her parents. They watched their baby girl die, you know? I'm heartbroken for her friends, Listen, I am inspired by her life. That woman spent herself for Jesus. And today she's on the other side of the line. My friend who is right here is now in the presence of Jesus enjoying her reward. Because that is awesome. That is inspiring. And if I can watch my friend revolutionize leukemia, right? Because she's, 
She's losing her life and somehow she's filled with joy. That's impossible. She's losing her life and she's focused on other people. She's fighting with all of her strength so that she can stay alive for her children. I'm looking at that and hearing the memories of my friend, my wife's friend. I'm thinking if she can live with that kind of passion, when she has leukemia, and I got to be able to go back to my life with at least a fraction of that zeal. I, I got to zoom in on, on this reward that's coming. What will happen on the other side of this line? As her life has marked me, uh, it's changed me, it's changed my wife. As we look at our lives, we have to land here because it's too short, see? It's not just Monday tomorrow. There's only so many more Mondays left. The Bible talks about our life as a race or a fight. I saw that fight and I saw that race in Allie. Because if you are alive today, which you all are, you are on the planet for a reason. And if my friend Allison could speak to us today, she would say, live it. Live revolutionary. Don't just show up at work tomorrow. Serve Jesus. Show up from the heart wherever you are, whatever you do. I'm inspired by that. I want to live like that. It's how do we walk away from this conversation? There's something that we have to know <clears throat> first and foremost. And it's that we're not working for Jesus to earn salvation. I have to say that. Jesus himself had work to do that was unique. He alone did the work of living a perfect life. He alone did the work of dying on a cross to pay for sin. Because he's the only one that could do that. And the way that we inherit <clears throat> salvation is we accept the work that only Jesus could do. That's got to be the starting point. If you've never done that before, I would ask you to make that decision. To, to accept the work that only Jesus could do for you and for me. Would you say yes to Jesus and his contribution? As for the rest of us, can we take an honest look at where the majority of our time and effort and energy are spent? Can we ask the question, do I idolize my work? Do I demonize my work? Man. Or is my work being revolutionized? The supernatural would show up in my life in the everyday, in the mundane even, 
because there's there's a, a passion and a drive because I have a savior that no one can see and he is the motivator for my life. As we go back tomorrow morning different, wherever we're going tomorrow, with a big view of our Jesus, the big motivation coming from his love for us, will we let that change us? Will we let our lives become revolutionary wherever we land? Would you wrestle with that? Would you allow the line to come a little closer? I know it's hard. I know there's some pain to it. But our lives are temporary. We're here for a reason. Will we be faithful to walk out our contribution this side of heaven? Wrestle with working for Jesus this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to say thank you that we don't have to live in drudgery or in idolatry. We can live with purpose and joy and vision and passion. And Lord, I pray that you would fire that in us. Fire a vision in us for you. An appetite, Lord, to work for you and give ourselves to you. Would you speak to our hearts this morning, Lord? Help us to ask the question of, is my work being revolutionized? And Lord, would you grant us the grace to draw the line a little closer to our hearts? Give us the courage to do that. To realize that our time is short, even if it's 80 years. That you have things for us to do, Lord. Thanks, Lord, for working with us, dying for us on the cross. We want to respond to your love, Lord, as a thank you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.